You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. ISIS claims of responsibility for Las Vegas murders continue to lose plausibility, but the shooter's motives remain a mystery. Yahoo's epic breach just got even more epic. Equifax looks little better in the wake of its CEO's congressional testimony. A major breach seems to be unfolding in India. And does Starfleet still run Windows XP? Who's responsible for information security on that bridge anyway? I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, October 4th, 2017. The motives of the Las Vegas gunmen remain a mystery. Few credit ISIS claims in its online news service Amok that the shooter was a jihadist soldier. But the absence of any discernible motive is baffling. Clark County Sheriff Joseph Lombardo did say that they were still looking into the possibility of some unknown radicalization, but that still appears unlikely. Yahoo, under its new status as a Verizon unit, has determined and disclosed that all three billion of its email users were in fact compromised in its already massive, now more massive than anyone believed, 2013 breach. Last night's disclosure multiplies the largest breach in history by a factor of three. Yahoo's current corporate parent, Verizon, which closed its acquisition of Yahoo this summer, disclosed the new figure late yesterday on the basis of what it characterizes as fresh evidence. Verizon's acquisition of Yahoo had been delayed by Yahoo's belated disclosure in September and December 2016 of breaches it sustained in 2013 and 2014, and the purchase came at a renegotiated price that knocked some $335 million off the original sticker. Yahoo's security facts are unlikely to provide much comfort. They read in part, Yahoo is providing notice to additional user accounts affected by an August 2013 theft of user data previously announced by the company in December 2016. This is not a new security issue. In 2016, Yahoo previously took action to protect all user accounts. So there you go. It's a known issue, and anyway, all user accounts are still protected under previously taken action. So is this latest disclosure much ado about nothing? billion here, a billion there. Maybe one person's lost data is a sad inconvenience, one retiree's stolen pension a tragedy, but a billion users compromised? Isn't that just a statistic? Well, no, at least according to what we heard from security firm Centrify's Corey Williams. Does this make the breach three times worse than before? Williams asked, and then answered four times, yes. 
Yes, because nearly every online user in the entire world was impacted. Yes, because an email notification is being sent to an additional 2 billion people announcing that Yahoo failed in its responsibility to protect user information. Yes, because this is another reminder of the black eye on the world's cybersecurity. Yes, because it reminds us that Russian intelligence conspired to protect, direct, facilitate, and pay criminal hackers to collect information through computer intrusions in the United States and elsewhere. So, more than a statistic, and yes, it's not good. Coming on the heels of the Equifax debacle and numerous other data exposures we're now conditioned to regard as relatively small, this slow-developing mess has reinforced calls for data security regulation at least as stringent as GDPR. It may also prompt stricter liability for corporate officers, perhaps even for government officials. We heard from Willie Leichter at security company Versec Systems, He tells us this news will increase building momentum for breach disclosure legislation. He told us in an email, quote, This news will add more fuel to the fire for having legal standards on how quickly breach information is revealed and how much detail is required. As we've seen in the Equifax hearings, even conservatives are calling for legislation moving in the direction of the European GDPR. Speaking of Equifax, the Credit Bureau's departed CEO Richard Smith's congressional testimony yesterday mollified few, and it reinforced a picture of poor preparation and response. He said the breach originated with someone's failure in March to communicate that Apache struts needed to be patched. A subsequent scan to identify software needing updates also failed to catch the oversight. That second scan is being called a fail-safe measure, which seems incorrect. It was a redundant check. A fail-safe system, by way of contrast, would have shut a system down, rather than permit its continued operation in an unsafe mode. Smith said the failed scan is still under investigation by outside counsel. Among the unpleasant details that emerged in the hearing is the fact that Equifax hired outside counsel about a month before it disclosed the breach. They brought King and Spalding in on August 2nd to investigate suspicious activity on a customer portal that Smith said came to his attention on July 31st. This has led Wired and others to note that early August was the same period in which Equifax's general counsel approved sales of the company's stock by three executives, one of them the CFO. There is, therefore, this apparent dilemma. Either the CFO and general counsel were aware of non-public material information, or they weren't. If the former, then, as many have said, it looks like illicit insider trading. If the latter, then who in the world should be involved in incident planning and response, if not the CFO and the general counsel? Given all of this, many are surprised to learn that the U.S. Internal Revenue Service just gave Equifax a $7.25 million contract for tax fraud prevention work. The contract is a bridge contract to provide taxpayer identity and validation services. The IRS says are essential until the new contractor, which won the business in July, can take over. And presumably the T-men can't just do a dark web search for your tax information. It's not just the U.S. either. A large data breach affecting some 6,000 businesses and government agencies seems to be unfolding in India. It's Wednesday. That means it's time to take a quick look at our CyberWire event tracker. Coming up in Krakow on the 9th and 10th of October, there's an event called Dealing with Cyber Disruption. That's from CyberSec, the European Cybersecurity Forum. 
On October 11th in Rockville, Maryland, there's a cybersecurity graduate program's information session sponsored by UMBC. And coming up October 11th and 12th, it's Cyber Maryland 2017. That's at the Baltimore Convention Center. The 2017 International Information Sharing Conference is coming up at the end of the month, October 31st and November 1st in Washington, D.C. The tag for that event is Cybersecurity is a Team Sport. You can find out more about these events and list your own on our CyberWire event tracker at thecyberwire.com slash events. We also want to highlight our own event. It's the fourth annual Women in Cybersecurity Reception that's taking place October 17th at the Columbus Center here in Baltimore. You can find out more information about that event at thecyberwire.com slash WCS. One of our presenting sponsors for the event is CenturyLink. Dave Mann is the chief technology officer there, and he offers his thoughts on the benefits of attending an event like the fourth annual Women in Cybersecurity Reception. You know, it's important to attend these events because people are going to be in the workforce for a very long period of time. I think the average person will probably be working anywhere between 30 and 40 years. You want to pick a profession that is dynamic, that is flexible, that is growing. And it's these types of events that allow people, particularly young women, to become exposed to the profession, number one, but more importantly to the people in the profession. And I would encourage young women in particular that network as much as you can at these type of events. And when you meet professionals who are already in the profession, I would recommend that you ask them at least three questions. The first one I would suggest you ask is, what do you like most about your profession? The second one is, what do you like least about your profession? And the third is, where do you see this profession in the next five to 10 years? That begins to give you information about the industry uh, and seeing if your skills, your talent, uh, your capabilities, your desires, you know, align with the profession. Because you want to be happy. You're going to be working uh, for many, many years. Uh, you, you want a path that allows for flexibility and growth. And then I would say, as you're coming out of uh, your academic pursuits, think about what people are looking for in you. Uh, We're not just looking for people with a high GPA or that graduated from a great university or have a technical certification. Now, we certainly want people to be technically competent, but when I consider how I think about people during the, the job selection process, you know, I'm really looking for behaviors that connect that person intellectually and emotionally uh, to our organizational purpose. I'm looking for people who have an authentic interest in the job. I very much want to see a tenacious intellect uh, in young people. And you're not going to know all the answers. I know that. Uh, but do you have the drive to find the solution? I definitely want to see a strong work ethic. There's someone who can come in, stay with the project, drive it to conclusion. Uh, most importantly for me is integrity. If you can have, if you have all the other skills and you lack integrity, uh, you will not be successful uh, in your profession. Obviously, we want people uh, to be technically competent. But there's another uh, thing I look for in people, and, and, and that is gratitude. Are they people who get up every morning? They're uh, respectful and appreciative of where they have found themselves in their lives. 
and willing to go out there and, and make a contribution uh, both to, to the company, uh, to their family, to the community. You know, they're the types of people that we're looking for. And as a young woman, uh, when you're at these networking events, it gives you an opportunity to seek out leaders uh, in the organization that you might have an interest in and, and ask them questions and get to know them. That's Dave Mann from CenturyLink. Finally, it appears from internal evidence on screen in Star Trek Discovery that Starfleet is still running Windows, and even that it's dealing with Stuxnet. We just hope the holodeck isn't afflicted with the Blueborn vulnerability because, well, we don't even want to go there. The whole holodeck recreation system is kind of creepy, but mostly awesome. A little creepy, but mostly awesome. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Joining me once again is Jonathan Katz. He's a professor of computer science at the University of Maryland and also director of the Maryland Cybersecurity Center. Jonathan, welcome back. Um, We're going to touch on a basic topic today, the subject of random numbers and the importance of truly random numbers when it comes to cryptography. Well, random numbers turn out to be uh, vital for various applications in cryptography. And the easiest example of that is just the example of generating a cryptographic key. When you generate a cryptographic key that you're going to share with some other uh, party with whom you're going to communicate, you want that key to be random so that an attacker in particular won't be able to guess it. And the less random your key is, uh, the easier it will be for an attacker to guess it. And once they guess it, of course, all the security of your encryption or authentication or what have you is going to be lost. And are there methods for proving that, that a, a number or a string of numbers are truly random? Well, that's interesting. That gets into the question of what it even means uh, for something to be random, at least for the purposes of cryptography. And the fundamental measure here is uh, entropy, which relates to exactly how hard it is for an attacker to guess 
the value of your random number. And so you want to make sure that any random number you're using for those purposes is really unguessable to the attacker. Uh, there have been some advances in the last couple of years, actually, uh, on quantum mechanical methods for generating randomness, where uh, the device can be proven to output random numbers that are unguessable to within a particular degree. Now, what about uh, using a, a number, like an irrational number like pi as a source for a random number? Does that get you anywhere? Yeah, that's kind of interesting. I hear that often. And um, the problem is that it doesn't really give you the randomness that you need for cryptography. So there might be some notion of randomness or, uh, or, or chaotic behavior in, for example, the digits of pi. But they're not at all random because the digits of pi are public. So if you're going to be picking your key based on some consecutive digits of pi, and if an attacker knows that, then it would be trivial for the attacker to figure out exactly what your key is. So those kind of numbers would not be suitable for cryptographic purposes. All right, Jonathan Katz, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.